Amen. That was good singing. And it was great playing too. I wish I could take you ladies with me round the meetings sometimes I go to on Sunday night. I tell you, if you'd have played that like that, people would have had coronaries at the service. It was tremendous. And what a hymn. And that was a, a good mistake that was made. That was a great hymn to sing. Because that's the message, folks, that the gospel's all about. Sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. That's all we would ever be. And if the Lord had left us as he found us, we would die and be in a lost sinner's hell. But thank God for sovereign, free grace tonight. I want to read some verses from the gospel according to Matthew, please. Chapter 27. Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. And we'll break in, please, at the verse 19. Verse 19, speaking of Pilate, it says, When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed And smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him. Put his own raiment on him. And led him away. To crucify him. Amen. We'll end a reading at verse 31. We know the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. To our hearts. Amen. Turn please in your Bibles to the gospel according to Matthew. The chapter 27, and the text tonight, as you may well have guessed already, is found in the words of Pilate in verse 22 of the chapter. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What shall I do then with Jesus, 
which is called Christ. What a question. It's a question that every individual that hears it in their lifetime has got to answer. And friend, we all will answer that question. Some, not enough, but some will say, I will take Christ as my Lord and Savior and Redeemer. But the vast majority, perhaps, especially in our day and generation, will say, well, we will not have this man to rule over us. We want nothing to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ. We would have to ask the question, what's wrong with the Lord Jesus? What did he ever do wrong that you wouldn't take him into your heart? This one that we read in Scripture went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The Bible tells us that in this world there is none that doeth good, but there was one. And he is the Lord Jesus. Never put a foot wrong. Never took a wrong decision or walked a wrong path. He was the sinless, spotless, crimeless, flawless, impeccable Son of God. Why is it then that so many reject him and even glory in their rejection of him? His crucifixion here in this passage is drawing very near. An act that we would call the crowning act of man's sin. This awful death of the cross was nearby. I don't know if you ever read just what it was like to be crucified. It was the most barbaric, cruel form of punishment. When a person was executed by beheading, it was a tragedy. It was very gory, but it was sudden. Crucifixion is not like that. What those men suffered on, on their crosses was beyond speech. It was a, a ghastly death. I remember reading one particular detailed report of a crucifixion. It was frightening. And then the thought hit me just in an instant. My Savior bore that for me. What have I ever done for him? What a moment it was, beloved. As the Lord Jesus Christ stood, behold, before Pilate that day, when he said, Behold the man. It was a tragic situation. The bulls of Bashan would soon surround him on Calvary. He would become the song of the drunkards. His name would be held by the majority of people in terms of blasphemy. Is it not the case in your everyday living, beloved, as you go about in your shops and businesses and schools and colleges, that you often hear the name of Jesus, but not from those who love him, but from those who blaspheme him? I trust that God will ever give us the grace 
in that kind of situation where we'll stand up and say, please don't do that. That's my Savior you're cursing. That's the one that saved me from my sins. Could you not refrain from such language? Oh, you'll not be rewarded or applauded for it. But it's what we ought to do, you know. Soon the Savior was going to be raised up from the earth. He was going to die in ignominy and shame. Don't think that those portraits and paintings of Christ on the cross are in any way authentic. They all have him girded about with a loincloth. That never happened. He was stark naked to the world. For he despised the shame. And there they were to ridicule, to curse, to blaspheme. But before this would take place, this governor called Pilate had a question that he had to answer himself. And it's a question that we'll all answer. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? The most important question that any man will ever face tonight. What are you going to do with Jesus? I'd love to ask every man and woman in Ulster and the whole nation that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Well, this question for Pilate posed the problems. The first one occurs in verse 19 of the chapter where we read, When he was sat down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. His first problem was the advice of a companion. You can be given good advice in life and you can be given bad advice. Pilate's wife gave good advice that day. Although I heard a preacher preach once and he suggested that Mrs. Pilate was not concerned about Jesus at all. She was only concerned about her own troublesome night and didn't want to be disturbed like that ever again. But I don't think that's the correct way to look at it at all. Because she refers to the Lord Jesus Christ in the text as a just man. I think she got a glimpse of who he was. That he was not the evil malefactor that they pointed out that he was. He was not that sort of a person. He was a just man. Now note when this advice was given, that when he was set down on the judgment seat, he made a very deliberate choice and a very definite decision. He sat down in judgment. Pilate was going to do what Pilate was going to do, even though he pleaded that it wouldn't happen. At the end of the day, he was faced with the reality of it, and so will you be, and so have I been. What you decide about Jesus, what sinners decide about the Lord Jesus Christ, will always be a very deliberate thing. 
The second problem he faces is seen in verses 20 and 21. The chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the greatest enemies that our Savior ever encountered were religious leaders? Things don't change much over the centuries. Sure they don't. They're still at it, these leaders of religion. Apostate religion, false religion. There's still the spirit of Professor Davy abroad in this land, you know, and in this nation. There's still the Lord's super theology that says the Lord Jesus Christ was the illegitimate son of Mary as a prostitute of the temple and some Roman soldier or some high priest. Even Zacharias got the blame of it. They hate him as much now as they did then. But I want to tell you, the crowd, the religious crowd, influenced Pilate. He didn't want to offend them. That's what's wrong with modern religion, you know. We don't want to offend people by standing up for Jesus. You know, if you were to say in a, in a big public gathering that every man who claims to be a true follower of Islam and a lover of Muhammad is going to hell, or the followers of Confucius are lost, or the worshippers of Hinduism are finished, they're going to go to hell at the end of the journey. Man, if you were to say that, you'd nearly be thrown into jail. You maybe would be. But because of one particular statement Christ made on this earth, that's exactly what the case would be. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no matter who he is, what he is, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friend, you can't get to God apart from Christ. And if you try to do it, you'll be lost You'll go to hell, you'll die without him and live on in eternity. There's another problem over in John's Gospel, chapter 19. Let me just read this to you. Chapter 19 of John, verse 8, first of all. John, chapter 19, verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. That saying. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 19. From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. Now he was working to get Christ off this thing. For he knew it was wrong. It was blatantly obvious it was wrong. The whole trial was illegal to start with. But the Jews cried out saying... If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat. There he is again, in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Here's his third problem. There would be very serious adverse consequences 
Pilate was afraid of losing power. That's a great incentive for people to do wrong, even in governmental life across the earth. Every, every country is cursed with this. Nobody wants to lose power. Neither did Pilate. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Fear not them which kill the body. There's many can do that. Fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear him. Don't sell the Savior out for any kind of gain at all. The worst mistake you could make. Here was a question that he asked that day that for Pilate posed problems. And maybe for someone here, you're in the same position. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This question, of course, proved personal. It's one that only Pilate himself could ask. He was asking the question to the crowd, thousands of them. But in reality, he asked it to himself and he had to, and so do you. He had here in his life at this moment in time a personal dilemma. In John 18 and verse 38, he says this, I find in him no fault at all. Now, can you imagine a judge in the high court in London or in Ulster sitting down in the bench and saying, this prisoner, I find no fault in him. But throw him in jail anyway. Now, that may have been done in Ulster's history at times past, and I think it has been. But can you imagine that? With all the evidence, with the obvious result, this is an innocent man. And Pilate was trying his best. Because in his heart of hearts, this man knew what he ought to do, friends. He knew what he should have done. And so in the midst of his personal dilemma, he made a personal decision. He had to decide what to do. Am I going to be a crowd pleaser, a man pleaser, a power hungry politician, or am I going to do what's right? Old Bob Jones, the first, used to say, Do right should the stars fall. As we see it sayings, you'll find all around the university campus nailed up on a wall. There's another one that says, it's never right to do wrong to do right. There's a good one for you. You see, the old Jesuit, he will say, you should do anything you need to do, however wrong it would be, if it advances the church. But that's not the doctrine and philosophy of the Christian church. Might be what's done in Rome and is done in Rome, but not in the Christian church. Not in the church of Christ. You've got the society, of friends got to what's the right thing 
I'm telling you people, there's no fault in Jesus. And he did it three times. You'll have to let him go. But they wouldn't do it. This personal dilemma that led to the personal decision stemmed from a personal dread. He was the more afraid. No beloved fear is a dreadful force. I remember years ago, I was in Canada preaching around some of the churches. And there was a young lady that was attending one of our churches out there in Canada. A very nice young married woman with children. But she took very ill. She took cancer. She was going to die. She wasn't saved at that juncture. And she said, you know, to the pastor, I have a great fear of what's going to happen to me when I die. I'm not saved. I have made absolutely no preparation to meet God. The preacher, of course, being a servant of the Lord, labored long and hard with that young woman and and I, I was there in some instances. I met this young woman. And then one glorious day, not long before her death, she trusted Christ. Was born of God's Spirit and washed in Jesus' blood. And when he talked to her again, she said, Pastor, I have no fear now. She was fearful, but in a moment of time, she had no fear left. You see, there's no fear in love, brethren, because perfect love casteth out fear. And she lost her fear of dying when she found Christ, the source of life. Pilate, he dreaded falling out with Caesar. That didn't appeal to him at all. To fall out with Caesar is to sign your death warrant. You do that and you're quit, you're done, you're finished. Never sell out Christ for worldly gain. Another thought here for a moment that this question needs to be looked at with Pilate's pronouncement. Look at Pilate's answer. What did he do? Well, first of all, in Matthew 27, verse 24, look what it says. He saw that he could reveal nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. He took water, washed his hands, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, See you to he shunned the Savior. That's what he did first. I believe he's innocent. I don't believe he should die, but kill him anyway if you want to. What sort of leadership would that be? What sort of man would make such a decision as that? Well, Pilate did. Then in verse 26, it gets worse. He released Barabbas, and when he had scourged Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified. He scourged the Savior. 
wasn't enough to kill him. Scourged him. Tortured him. That's no new thing. They, they still, that's still been done. A number of years ago, I was shown a photograph, a glossy, very detailed photograph of a person that had been murdered by terrorists. I shouldn't have seen it at all. It really was the police that had this. Ask me no questions because I'll just tell you I have a memory lapse now. I can't remember it all. And oh, I can't remember it all, but I remember this. Looking at that photograph, it was impossible to tell if those remains were male or female. The body had been so brutalized and mutilated, cut up and tormented and tortured, you just couldn't tell. It's still, but it's done, you know. It's not enough just to shoot somebody or kill somebody. You have to mutilate them too. Well, that's what they're doing with Jesus. They're scourging Christ, the flawless Christ. And in doing all that, this man really stood against the Savior. Friend, listen to me tonight. You're not saved, and I don't know your heart. But if you're not for him, you're against him. There's no middle ground here. Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that contend for me, I will contend for them. And that's the bottom line tonight. He put himself in opposition to Jesus, a very dangerous thing to do. You reject Christ now in time, folks, he will reject you in eternity. Mention was made there of a man called Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a thief and a murderer. He was just a bad villain, as you could ever find. I want you in your mind's eye, just as we come to the, near the end of the meeting, I want you to consider Barabbas as he lay in his prison cell. That was a cell that was a condemned cell. He had been tried by the law and found guilty, just like sinners. Every one of us are in the condemned cell. We're waiting execution, as he was. Can you imagine how he felt when he hears the jailer come down those cobbled stone steps over to the door of the cell, turns the key and throws it open, and steps in. And Barabbas is there absolutely convinced he's about to die. Then he would hear this message, Barabbas, you're free. You don't have to die, Barabbas. Because Jesus Christ of Nazareth has died in your place. What an illustration of the great biblical doctrine of substitution. Barabbas was guilty, he was condemned, he was the worst of men, 
Yet he was free. Why? Because Jesus died in his place. Friend, that's what the gospel does for you and me. Condemned already, that's us. Ready for hell and judgment and eternal damnation. But Jesus died for us. Because he lives, bless God, we shall live also. May have told you the story before, and with this I close tonight. The last man to be hanged in Northern Ireland. I think it was the last one. Was a fellow by the name of Magladry, I think he was called. He was being hanged for murder. Those of us who believe in capital punishment as being a biblical concept would not disagree with the judgment. But when he was in prison, the man that looked after him was a prison officer, a man that I knew personally, a man who lives in Belfast, lived in Belfast. I was telling the folk last week in Mount Marion that he actually lived in Mount Marion Avenue, this man, this prison officer. Him and his wife ended up doing missionary work among the Jews. But he was in duty with that prisoner. And an old lady came to see him. An old lady that knew him when he was a boy in the Sunday school. I think she was a lady out of a brethren assembly. And she sat down to talk to this man and really led into him. Told him that he deserved what he was getting. But she says, I want you to know this. You can be saved even in these last days of your life and you can go out into God's eternity and meet Christ and live with him forever. Murderer and all as you are. Well, she really talked to that fella. And folks, the end result was he trusted the Savior. And going back many years now in my recollection, but I think that the, the man that I know as the prison officer led him to his execution. You don't go any long walk, you know. You just There's a door in the cell that they're in, the condemned cell. Just open it and you're looking at the rope. It's just as short as that. But that man went to his death that day. Whether he was singing choruses or quoting hymns, I'm not sure now, but he was doing something like that. Then the hood was put upon him, the rope round his neck and the lever pulled and he was gone. There's hope (coughs) (coughs) even for a man in the last moments of his life. And here you are tonight, fit and well, strong and healthy, and yet you haven't trusted the Savior. Maybe that's the case with you now. I trust it's not, but if it is, I have a message for you, friend. In answer to that question, what will you do with Jesus? Well, I hope and trust and pray that you'll take him as your saviour oh taste and see the Lord is good
I've often told the story of being in America preaching, taken up to a farmhouse away in the middle of the country, northeastern Ohio on a mountain. And the lady had this great feed supplied for us all. Big silver platters. She brought out these steaks. Man, they were huge. Everything but the hoofs and the horns you thought was in the plate. But massive thing. In fact, the steak that she gave me <laughs> was so big it took two plates to hold it. That's how big this steak was. And let me say quietly, I ate it. And it was delicious. But as we were sitting there and she was pouring out this food and then a big platter, platter full of chicken came out and with some of that too to try it. Just, I just, I just, I said, well, I'll try it. I'll not take too much. A breast will do me. That's all right. So we're eating away. But before we started, we were starving. We were on the go from early morning. We preached in the wee church and then we were taken for dinner. And I was sitting there anxious Dr. Geiler or somebody else would say grace to we get at this. For I could smell it. I knew it was good. I felt in my heart it was good. But you know something? I didn't know how good until I tried it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll hear about him as you've done tonight. You'll know of him as you've known all your days perhaps, but until you take them, until you trust them, until you taste them, you'll never know how good it is. Friend, will you take them tonight? Will you trust them? Will you go home with Christ in your heart? If you're not saved, I pray you will. May the Lord be pleased to save your soul. Father in heaven, we do thank thee for our meeting tonight, for this wondrous question that was asked by that godless man so long ago, what he was going to do with Jesus. Grant that people here, if they're not saved, we would presume that most of them, maybe all of them are, but if not, God speak to their hearts and give grace for them to repent and believe. Answer prayer. Abide with us now as we separate the one from the other. Jesus' name. Amen. I don't go to the door these days for very obvious reasons because of this leg problem, but I'm in the pulpit for a while. We have the joy of leading people to Christ even in some of the pulpits so you can be saved in the pulpit. You can be saved in your seat, but our word for you is this, don't go home without Jesus. Thank you for your attention. The Lord bless you, each one. Amen.